do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Good morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you. So do me a favor, get your Bible out and turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you, okay? We would love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. I know you can get it on an app, but I'm a little old school, right? It's something about holding it and reading it that way. And uh, we'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God, especially if you'll read it on a regular basis. And uh, we're continuing on our journey through 1 John. Uh, But before we do, I I just want to take a moment this morning and pray. Uh, It's Memorial Day weekend, and I know what the weekend is set aside for, and of course it's set aside for uh, those who gave their life and service to this country. And uh, and I, I, but what I want to pray for, I actually want to pray for spiritual revival. I just really been praying for that for our culture and for our country. Uh, but I also want to recognize people. And I think whenever you do a people recognition, you run the risk of man, you know, you didn't recognize me or whatever. And and we just, uh, I'm just reminded uh, when I go on a missions trip. You know, what an incredible country we have. I got to have lunch this week at the Coast Guard base with Pastor Dave, who's retired Navy, and uh, just seeing the men and women in uniform. It just, I was really humbled by that and thankful for the work that they do uh, to keep us safe and to defend the Constitution, I guess, if you will, and just, just really, really great, grateful for the men and women that serve this country. So I want to recognize a couple people uh, or a couple groups of people. Um, first of all, if you're here in the room and you have a love, loved one that died and lost their life in service to the country. Would you do me a favor and stand? I mean, that really is what Memorial Day is about. We want to thank you. Okay. Anybody else? I know we've had a couple sprinkled in throughout the services. Okay. Oh, wow. Great. Anybody else? Okay. Stay standing. Um, you know, and again, I know Memorial Day is about those who've lost their lives, but I'm also thankful for the people that are currently serving. So if you're currently serving in the military, would you stand? We want to thank you for your service. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, stay standing. No, stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. If you're retired military, would you stand? Of course, we thank you for the years you've given in service. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you all very, very much. Okay. Um, at all the levels. So you guys can be seated. And whenever I do this, I run the risk of you know, not standing up the first responders in our community, our teachers in our community. I mean, there's just so many, our medical professionals, the general contractor that fixes my house because I can't fix anything. I'm thankful for you too. Like I really am. Like all of us in the community are important to what God is doing. But I want to do this. Let's bow our heads and pray. And I think if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, man, your heart's desire should be for our country to return to the Lord. Amen. And uh, all freedom is actually grounded in God. And when you lose spiritual freedom and then you're disconnected from the God of the Bible who brings freedom, because what did Jesus say? You will know the truth and the truth will do something. What sets you free? So there's a spiritual freedom, but it's only a matter of time until there's physical freedom or if we're disconnected from God, physical bondage. I really believe that. The two are very closely connected. It's just a matter of time. And so I've been praying for a spiritual awakening uh, for our culture. Amen? Uh, So let's bow our heads and pray and ask for that. God, on uh, Memorial Day weekend, we're as a country, we pause and we're grateful for the men and women who have sacrificed and given their lives in service to this great country, God. Uh, I'm thankful for the men and women that are currently serving, God. We, we benefit so much from our military men and women as a culture. Uh, it's a sacrifice for the entire family, too, because they get deployed so often. They go in harm's way frequently. Pray your protection on those who are serving, God, and those who have served, those who are in our body, our community here that are retired. Uh, Just really, really grateful for the men and women that serve this great country. But God, we're reminded that 
really the freedoms that we have so enjoyed for hundreds of years are are birthed out of a Judeo-Christian ethic God, a, a belief in a sovereign God, a holy God, a God of morality, God. And listen, our country has plenty of warts and black eyes, but God, really the freedoms that we enjoy come from knowing you. And so God, our culture is shifting away from that. And so we're asking God, uh, by your grace and your mercy that you might send the spirit of the Lord through local churches that preach the word through prayer God that you would do a spiritual awakening in our culture we fully recognize there's no political party that's going to set the country on the right tone if it's not grounded in knowing the true and living God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God, I ask that by your grace and mercy to us, God, we've enjoyed so much freedom that you would revive our culture, God, and that, that there would be a great awakening like, like, um, like generations past have experienced, God. We ask that you might do that, not because we deserve it, God, but for your name and fame. And it's in Jesus' most precious name I pray. Amen. Thank you for praying with me this morning. Let's dive in. I, um, I uh, in, my, in our bedroom at home, there's a door that opens and closes to the bathroom. And so at night, in the middle of the night, for whatever reason, this door seems to take up one of three positions. It's either fully closed, closed, uh, or it's half open, or it's all the way open. You may say, why are you telling us this? Because as you grow older, uh, you find that you most nights, there's a journey in the middle of the night that's required to the bathroom, all right? And all the old people are like, yeah, old man, yeah, I know what you're talking about. So, and so, and our room is really dark, and so, and so usually when I'm making this journey to the bathroom somewhere in the middle of the night, I go like this. My hands are out, right? And I know this door is in one of three positions, right? And so when it's fully closed, that's not too bad. Like I run into it, I'm like, okay, I open it. When it's fully open, no worries. Like you kind of go through, you kind of know when you've passed through, like, okay, I'm good to go. Uh, but one particular middle of the night, it was half open. It was in the three quarter halfway position. But oddly enough, it made it all the way through my hands to where I'd gotten to the place. I'm like, oh, it must be closed. And so I hurriedly take a step forward and had a great awakening in the middle of the night. And, and you want to know what thought crossed my mind in that moment? Why don't we have a nightlight somewhere? Like, that would make this really, really much more easier, right? And it's amazing how a little bit of light can really transform a room, right? It doesn't take much. In fact, in this room right here, actually, there's no ambient light. You can shut the lights in here, minus the exit signs, which by code we have to keep on at all times. Okay, but if I were to shut all of them off... It would be pitch black in here, like so dark, you could, almost couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And what's amazing is if, if that happened, if it was pitch black in here and I were to light one candle and put it right here, it really would produce enough light for all of us to figure our way out of here in a safe manner. It just doesn't take much light to pierce the darkness, right? And so this morning in our teaching about the God of the Bible, the God that we worship, John in his letter uses a God is statement. And there's only a handful of God is statements in the Bible. Uh, today we're going to talk about God is light, and we're going to unpack a little bit about what that means. The Bible says God is love. God is a consuming fire. That would be an interesting one to unpack, but this is one of those God is statements. So check this out. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, all right? This is the message we have heard from him. Now, uh, let me stop here for a minute. If you remember, as we're unpacking the, this letter, the letter of 1 John, that John makes the statement that they, he, touched the risen Christ, heard, handled. And this should give us great comfort as Christians. It's not that we have faith in faith. We have faith in something that is rooted and grounded in history. It's objectively true. The disciples were willing to die for the truth that they had seen the risen Christ. Everybody with me? And, and so, you know, a lot of cultures, a lot of people in our culture right now, they're like, you just have to have faith. It's not just faith, but it's faith in something that's true. 
something that's accurate, something that's real, right? And so, and so John kind of leaning into that, so we handled, we touched the risen Christ, we know, we saw with our own eyes. He circles, kind of injects that here in verse 5. So check this out, back to verse 5 again. This is the message we've heard from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Okay, this is a very important God is statement because this idea that God is light is telling us about, point number one, about the nature of the God of the Bible. We don't worship a God of our making. We worship the God who is. Let me say that again. We don't worship the God of our making. We worship the God who is. We have, it's, it's our job to know him and know who he is and, the, and, and not to kind of mold and shape a God of our making. God is light. This is his nature. And letter A, light reminds us a couple things, but one of the things it reminds us of is the holiness of God. If we're going to know and worship the God who is, we have to recognize he's light and therefore he's without sin. He's holy. He's righteous. He's pure. He's perfect. To, to know and commune and have relationship with the God of the Bible, the God that you're worshiping this morning, you have to be reminded on the regular that he is holy. And because we know the real nature of God, it also reveals the real nature of sin. To know the God who is is to know that a, a God without, without sin, and therefore as humans who are sinners, we have a serious problem with the God of the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach that in our unregenerated nature that all of us are children of God. That doesn't play on Oprah, does it? We're actually, the Bible actually says we're children of wrath because He's holy, and we're sin. We have rebelled, and and I, I'm going to impress on you why that's important. But we've rebelled against the character of our God. Part of the, I think, challenges of our culture is we never, rarely, do you hear in the public square any discussion about God being holy and us being sinners. We don't hear any discussion about sinfulness of mankind. Even worse, we're not hearing it enough in the churches. Right? So if you're not hearing it in the churches, you're certainly not going to hear it in the public square, and that's going to have tremendous ramifications for us. Listen, every single that I'm aware of just about government institution is teaching our kids that they've evolved from the gelatinous muck. If you've evolved from the gelatinous muck, that means there's no God. And listen, that has ginormous ramifications and touches into every single area of their lives. Every area, yes? And so, listen, if, if there's no God, you might as well do what you want. If there's no God then guess what? Let her be. Like, then there's no clarity because light brings clarity and direction. It's no wonder that we just see depression and anxiety on the rise at levels like I don't remember as a younger man. Why is that? Because we taught our culture there's no God. If there's no God, there's no purpose. There's no direction. You don't even know what you're on the planet for. You don't know that there's a God who cares for you. There's a God that's going to meet your needs. There's, going to be, there's a God that, that's going to provide for you. You're so Therefore, some of you are in this room. You're trying to figure out your life, and you're trying to figure out your purpose. You're trying to figure out the will of the future for you, and, and there's no clarity because you don't know the God of the Bible. God is light, and guess what? In that light, he provides clarity. He provides direction. Let her see. He gives safety because light gives safety. When you do things God's way, you're, you're under the umbrella of God's protection. When you don't do God things God's way, you're in the darkness. Light brings safety. My uh, 
for Christmas, over Christmas this year, my in-laws were kind enough to get a, a really nice beach house in Florida so that we could spend the week together of the Christmas break in Destin, Florida. And we had some sickness in our family, so we decided not to leave till late Christmas day. And so Christmas night, we're driving through the night to get to Florida. And, um, and you know, so you're driving at 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And when you're driving, you, you have to stop and get gas, right? And you guys know this. Like, you'll pull off on an exit to get gas. And on Christmas night, you're like, I don't know. Like, what's going to be open? Am I going to be able to get gas? And so there's a couple times in the middle of the night, we pull off. And, and those of you who have driven tonight, you know this to be true. You pull off an exit, and there's two gas stations off the exit, right? One was built in the 1950s, and it's got two lights streaming off this thing, right? And one light doesn't work, and the other one's flickering, right? And it's like, it's kind of semi-lit, and then the next one right next to it is a Sheets gas station, right? You know, it's well-lit, or there's Wawa, or there's Bucky's or whatever, and you pull off. Which one are you choosing? <laughs> Don't judge me. I'm choosing the one that I feel safer at. More light, right? There's a clarity to light, right? And we know it, we know it just in our travels to be true, right? So there's a there's a light gives safety. And some of you are you're you're vulnerable to the things of the world because you're living your own way. You're not living according to God's will and God's word and God's ways. God is not the cosmic killjoy. God doing things his way brings safety to your life. And all of this about the nature and the character of God, and I'm not going to unpack the doctrine of the Trinity this morning, but it ultimately finds its fulfillment in Christ. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 8. Of course, John would know this as he's writing this letter to the churches, right? He says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, this is very important. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I say, church, let's read together, the light of the world. And then he said, whoever follows me, let's say this together, will not, what, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Like, it's the nature of God. God is holy, he's without sin, and if we want to know God, we've got to walk in his holiness. We need to know him through the person and work of Christ, which we'll get to in a few minutes, right? And in doing that, there's there's protection there's direction there, there's 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 real life jesus said i want you to have real life which leads to number two the number two second thing here this morning there's a couple if we say statements so john says if you say this about yourself then this needs to be true of you so check this out number two if we have fellowship with the lord if we say or if we have fellowship with the lord so check it out in first john 1 verse 6 if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, this is a shocking statement, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So here's what John's getting at. He's saying if our actions are the opposite of our proclamation, it could be that we're lying about ourselves and lying to ourselves. Our lifestyle needs to be in alignment with what we're proclaiming to be true about ourselves. So in other words, if you're saying, man, I know the God of the Bible through Christ, he is light, therefore we should be walking in light. And if we're way over here walking in darkness, but all the while saying, I know God, it could be we actually don't know God. Going to church does not make you a Christian. Yes? Let me say that again, because there's somebody in this room who needs to hear this. Going to church does not make you a Christian. By the way, I, I've told you this before when I was talking on Mother's Day, how I grew up in a Christian home. There were lots and lots of years that as a young teenager, I was faking it. Thinking going to church, checking the religious box, enduring another one of Pastor Sean's sermons, that must be worth something in the presence of God, right? I've suffered through another one, you know, kind of thing like, no, it's heart transformation where you've repented of sin and genuinely received the gospel of Jesus. 
It's John here is holding up the mirror of God's character. God is light. And if you say you know this God of the Bible, then there should be some overlap of the character of God and your lifestyle. Is it perfect overlap? No, because we're sinners. But here's the difference between, and when it comes to sin, here's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. It's not that one sins and one doesn't sin. Both Christians and non-Christians sin. A Christian, when they sin, should say, man, I hate my sin. Why do I keep doing that? And, I, and I'll do whatever I need to to stop walking down the path of sin. A non-Christian loves their sin and has no desire to turn from it. Everybody with me? And so the quest, the mirror is God is holy. We're all sinners, man. Do I hate my sin or, or do I love my sin? Because John's saying, if there's habitual, unrepentant sin, sin that you love instead of hate, it could be that you're walking in darkness. It could be that you actually don't know the God of light because it doesn't matter what your, heart, what your mouth professes if your heart and life and mind still love sin. But, letter B, if we walk with God in the light, this is very fascinating, what John says, if we walk with God in the light, number one, we have fellowship with one another. Now, why is that shocking? Because when you read verse 7 of 1 John, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, let me say that again, 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what would you have expected John to say next? What would you, we, you would expect him to say, then we have fellowship with who? With God, right? But he actually says, we have fellowship with who? One another. There's a couple, I think, important truths about that. Number one, right? Jesus, when asked to sum up the Old Testament, what did Jesus say? If you're going to sum up, Jesus sum up the Old Testament. He said, you got to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he said, the second is so much like it, I can't separate the two. You also need to, what, anybody know? Love your neighbor as yourself. There's a close alignment. If I know God, I love what God loves, and God loves people, and he loves his children. And so I think there's a, and John writing this letter would know this, right? If we love God, the natural overflow of loving God is we love one another. But I think there's a second thing here. When we're walking in the light, genuine fellowship allows us to confess our sins to one another in such a way is that it causes us or encourages us to walk in the light and no longer walk in darkness. Everybody with me? So if we walk, but if we walk in the light, then real light walk is going to have fellowship with one another that's genuine and authentic and real. I really believe this. If we as Christians walked in the light and had fellowship with one another, I really think a lot of counseling centers would be shut down. Because it would go like this. Hey, how you doing today? Oh, man, I'm good. And that's the end of it. That's the end of our fellowship. Imagine if in our small groups or after the small group, one-on-one -on -one with someone you trust or in this community, hey, how you doing today? Um, to be honest, like, I keep losing my temper with my kids. Like, I need help, man. I, I'm, I'm not doing what I need to do as a parent. Imagine that. Hey, how you doing today? Um, I mean, if I'm being honest with you, I'm, I'm probably drinking too much. Like, I'm, I'm borderline a drunk. I need, I need help. Hey, how you doing today? You want to know the truth? Like, I'm struggling with pornography. I keep sleeping with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I'm married, but there's this guy or girl at work that I can't, if I'm being honest, I'm flirting with. Like, that kind of walking in the light, suddenly there's a fellowship that's authentic and real. And here's the deal. And by the way, some, there's going to be some in this room going to take us serious. They're going to come to you in the next week and go, hey, I need help overcoming this sin I'm struggling with. And they're going to be authentic. And if they're authentic, don't you dare do one of these. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Because here's what that kind of authentic, authenticity breeds. You want to know what it breeds? Oh, man, that's nothing. You want to know what I do? 
and you start saying, here's my issue. Yes? Because if we have fellowship with God, guess what the natural overflow is? Fellowship with one another. And by the way, wouldn't that change the culture of like, man, there'd be a an authenticity and a humility to that. Because when we walk in the light, John says, we have fellowship with one another. And number two, this is really great too, right? Which of course is the gospel. We walk in the light as God is in the light. Number two, we have forgiveness through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The idea here is that as a Christian, we're continually and constantly clinging to the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is not simply a one-time event where we accept Jesus into our hearts. By the way, how many of y'all grew up in a church that way? Like that was the gospel presentation. If you want to accept Jesus into your heart, do you know the Bible doesn't tell us to present the gospel that way? As if Jesus is out there kind of needy waiting on you to bring him in. Yes? You ready? That's a very man-centric view of the gospel, which puts you at the center. You're the hero of the story, when instead the gospel message is, what's the gospel message? It's repent, which means, man, I'm a broken mess. My life's a train wreck. I'm in rebellion against the God of the universe. I need to turn from my sin. I need to repent. And I need to believe and receive this incredible gospel message. Everybody with me on that? That's a totally different, humbling message. And not only am I, when I receive the gospel, according to the scriptures, justified, that's a one-time spiritual declaration that I'm declared righteous, but the process of my sanctification is also on a daily reminder, God is light, I'm still struggling with my sin, I'm in process, and every single day I need to repent of my sin and believe in Jesus afresh and anew. It's not that we leave the old rugged cross, we cling to the cross of Jesus all the way till our faith becomes sight. Amen? Man, we, this is a reminder by John that we all need the gospel. Jesus is my all in all at all times as a Christian. Which leads to number three. The second if we say statement. Number three. If we say we do not sin. If we say we do not sin. 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And there's a couple really important points here. Now, let me just pause here for a minute. I suspect that most of us in this room would give verbal assent to the fact that we're sinners. Like most of us go, yeah, I'm a a sinner. I'm a sinner. I think what John's talking about here is, is really a heart posture reality that when you understand that God is light and I'm so far, even, even in my Christianity, I realize, I think in some ways the older and the longer I walk with Jesus, the more, I'm more sinful than I actually thought I was at the beginning. Y'all with me on that? I, hopefully I'm growing in holiness and righteousness. I hope there's some positive holiness movement. But there's a heart posture and a heart understanding that's like, you know what, I'm worse than I thought I was back then when I first received the gospel. The more I get to know God. That's what I think John's talking about, like this reality of like being self-aware that, man, I'm far more broken. This is what Tim, late Tim Keller said, right? You're, the gospel message is you're far, cheer up, you're far worse than you thought you were. And cheer up, you're far more loved than you dare dream. That's the gospel message. So if we say that we have no sin, letter A, we deceive ourselves. We're self-deceptive. Listen, apart from the awakening of the Holy Spirit, we have the full ability to deceive ourselves. Let me think, now think about that for a minute. The the book of Romans says that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, the human capacity is to exchange the truth for a lie. We have the full ability to live our lives as a lie in darkness. Now, if you're new to Coastal or you're not new to Coastal, you may say, Pastor Sean, why does Pastor Sean 
almost every week pick on a culturally sensitive particular sin that our culture's struggling with. Why do I do that? The reason I do that is the worst thing that we can do is allow... Our, our, first, I want to educate us as Christians. I want you to leave here understanding, have a full orb picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But secondly, the worst thing we can do is leave people in darkness. Gee, and, and so if somebody's not trumpeting the truth, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will do something to you. Set you free. And as we move into spiritual bondage as a culture, my concern is it's only a matter of time till that's physical bondage. Physical bondage or, or physical freedom is the overflow of something happened spiritually. You guys with me? Anybody? And so the spirit is the first thing. That's why, that's why Jesus didn't just come in and overthrow Rome and set up a, 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 you know, a government as Messiah. That's what the Jews were expecting. No, there's something bigger going on. It's spiritual. We take care of the spiritual. The physical takes care of itself over time through leavening, okay, of the truth of the gospel. And so, listen, we have the, the human nature has the full capacity to be self-deceptive, you have the ability to deceive yourself in such a way that you're actually living a lie when God wants you to be living the truth. This is what makes the phrase in our culture so dangerous. The phrase, you just need to follow your heart. It's a really dangerous phrase. You just, you just need to live your truth. Right? Or, 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 uh, or, you know, follow your path. And the reason that has so much danger is found in Jeremiah chapter 17. Apart from God and the word of God and the redemption of the human heart, the, the prophet Jeremiah says it this way. The heart is deceitful. Can I get this up on screen? I see it here on the last screen. There you go. Okay. This is so, this is so important to our understanding. The heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. This is why the all of our thoughts, all of our plans, all of the desires of our hearts must be weighed against the word of God. It's not your truth. It's not my truth. Truth is an anchor unto itself. Amen? There's only the truth. And truth is objective. And truth is knowable. And truth is universal for all peoples, for all times. There's no, well, that was true for that generation. It's either true or it's not true. It's objective, it's knowable, and the Bible say makes some incredible claims that the Word of God is true and that Jesus is true and it's immovable. Listen, I want to warn you this morning, beware of your own ability to deceive yourself. Be Assume that you still, even as a Christian, yes, we're growing in sanctification. Yes, there's community. Yes, there's the word of God. That's why, by the way, we got to do connect, grow, and serve every single week. So we're reminding ourselves of these truths. But assume that, hey, my sin nature, until my faith becomes saved, is still with me. I need to check myself sometimes at the door. Yes? And make sure, man, I'm walking in light and I'm walking in the truth. Because John goes on to say, if we say we haven't sinned, let her be the truth is not in us. something about regularly reflecting on your own ability to sin you ready for this that humbles us let me say that again there's something about reflecting on your own ability to sin that humbles us and puts us in a posture of being dependent on the Lord having a humble understanding of our own ability to sin. I really want you to hear me on this, so I want all your eyeball, eyeballs. Ready, everybody? Eyeballs on me. Having a humble understanding of your own ability to sin makes your earthly relationships better and more unified. 
Anybody with me on that? Because when we're humble and we see our own ability to sin, we are quicker to assume that I'm the problem in this relationship. We're, we're, we're more patient with other people. We're, we listen better. We're quicker to think, hey, maybe I need to change so that this problem is softer. I really believe that part of the political divide that we're having in our culture is our default position when it comes to politics is to think the worst of the opposite political party than where we stand, right? We're contemplating the fact that I'm part of the problem, I'm a sinner, I'm, I, I have rebelled against God and therefore I've sinned against others. It, it makes us slower to get to where we're like, man, let's just think of the worst of the other person. Our earthly relationships are better. Your marriage will be better when you understand, man, I am a broken sinner and it makes us more humble and thoughtful about all of our relation, earthly relationships. And finally, John says, if we say that we don't have sin, we're, letter C, attacking the very character of God. Verse 10, if you skip down one verse, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we do not have a biblical understanding of our sin, then we're making God out to be a liar. He knows us. He has declared our rebellion against his holy character as a sin, and he has rightly pronounced his judgment upon our sin. Think about the first sin, when sin entered the planet. Genesis chapter 3. One tree, don't eat of that one tree. The serpent comes in and he tempts Eve with one line. What does he tempt her with? He asks a question. Did what? God say. Every time we sin, we are questioning the word of God. It's us saying, God, I know better than you about what to do with my money. God, I know better what to do in this dating relationship than you do. God, I know better what to do in my marriage than you do. God, I know better what to do in the workplace than you do. Every time we violate the word of God and we sin, it's us taking the position and saying, God, I am no better than you and you are not the boss of me. As the creature made from the dust... Adam and Eve had the audacity, as do I and as do you, to go, God, did you really say? And when we take a position in our hearts and lives and not, don't contemplate the reality of our own sin, we are attacking God's character. And we're saying, God, don't, don't tell me. You're not the boss of me. God, if we, may, if we say we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar. Which leads to my final point. Here it is. Okay, so I've, wait, I've been heavy on you. So here it is, number four. It's what I call the hope of if. The hope of if. Contemplating our ability to sin, that God is light, he's holy, and our rebellion against God leads to the brightness of the light of 1 John 1, 9. This is one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. 1 John 1, 9 says, but... If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Letter A, confess. The word confess means to agree with God. Say about yourself what God says about you. It means to confess our sin nature and our sinful actions. There's something incredibly freeing about confessing our sins and confessing them in a particular way. I think a lot of times when we're praying a sin confession, and I do this too, right? In my haste, speeding past God is light, speeding past the holiness of God, being very busy for God. Like I have a very busy calendar for God. I will in my prayer time go, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. 
as opposed to Matthew 5, if any man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's an adulterer. And so that should give me pause and go, hey, God, you know what? In my heart, left to myself, I'm an adulterer. Next time you confess your sins, remember when you were late to work and you told your boss like a half-truth of why you were late? What's that make you? So instead of going, hey, God, I'm a sinner. Let's move on to the prayer request. Pause long enough and think, God is light. There's no darkness in God. I walked in darkness today. You know what, God, I'm, I'm a liar. Hey, God, you know what, I had a little too much to, I, forgive me, God, I had a little too much to drink last night. And that had all kinds of ripples in your family or on a date or out with your friends. Imagine if we stopped and said, you know what, God, I'm a drunkard. I was, not, I was not being controlled by the Holy Spirit last night. I was being controlled by alcohol or pot or some other drug. I lacked self-control. Imagine if we genuinely confessed our particular sins. Forgive my lying. Forgive my lust. Forgive my hatred of my neighbor or my family member. Forgive my gossip. And as we confess these sins, it's understanding our true nature and what our redemption and our regeneration really needs from God in Christ. It's indeed very, very humbling. And so when we confess our sins, let her be, he is faithful. What is God faithful to? He is faithful to do what he said he would do, to forgive and to cleanse when he forgives and cleanses, he declares us righteous. That's the doctrine of justification. The righteousness of Christ gets gifted to your spiritual bank account by grace through faith. He declares us uh, sanctified. We are now growing in righteousness. And he declares us glorified. Ephesians 2, God all in Christ already sees us seated in the heavenlies. In other words, when we confess our sins, he is faithful. What is he faithful to? You ready for this? He's faithful to his word. He does what he says he's going to do. Why are you saved from your sin? Because God said so. Amen? And so what is the gospel? Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Jesus bodily rose from the grave. Lots of theology around all of those three things that I don't have time to unpack, but in the simplest form, Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Jesus bodily rose from the grave. What do I do with the gospel? Please don't say accept Jesus in your heart. Okay, No, what do I do? I repent. I turn from my sin. I confess. I agree with God. He's called me to. I turn from who I was. I believe. What do I believe in? It's not faith in faith. That's what the culture is. Just have faith. Faith in what? I don't know. Faith in faith. Faith in whatever you have faith in. No, it's not that. That is not the gospel message. You actually have to have faith in something specific. You have to have faith in the gospel. Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for sins. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. You have faith in that, and you receive Christ into your heart. And by the power of the Spirit, you're now being transformed by the, from the inside out. And when you receive this gospel, you are saved from the penalty of your sin, and you are going to be glorified and live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever with the Lord. Why is that a thing? Because God said so. Amen? And when he says it, you can take it to the bank. And so God is faithful, and let her see, he's also just. Why is it important that God is just? Imagine if we had a local judge who let everybody off because they're kind and they're tenderhearted. Rapist stands before the judge, you're free to go. A drunkard, DUI, stands before the judge, you're free to go. A child molester stands before the judge. You're free to go. There's people on the other side of these crimes. Some of you would be going, yeah, something's off here. Yes? You just can't let everybody go. There has to be justice. By the way, God didn't just wave his magic wand and forgive you of your sins. He's a just God too. And he paid for your sins. And how did he pay for them? He substituted his one and only son, Jesus Christ, on your behalf. And he poured out his wrath and hatred on sin instead of you. Jesus took it as he hung on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God is pouring out his hatred and wrath for sin. And so God is faithful and just, letter D, to forgive us of sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and so all of our sins are paid for and he forgives us 
Listen, there's some of you in this room that you're no longer in habitual, unrepentant sin. But there's a sin from the past that you keep living in shame. I had an affair. You've confessed it 50,000 times. I had an abortion. And you're coming to God, and you're going, God, forgive me for this sin. And God's going, what are you talking about? Look at Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I took that one. And you asked forgiveness, and you're not doing it again. I forgive you. Done. Go forward, walking out in the grace and the forgiveness, clothed in righteousness of Christ. You're a new creature. Old things are left behind. Go forward. You're now one of my children. You are a son. You're a daughter of the Most High. Walk in the righteousness that I've now clothed you in. He forgives us and he cleanses us, says 1 John 1, 9, of some of our unrighteousness. Isn't that what it says? No, he, listen, the gospel's so good, he's cleansed you of the stuff you don't even know you're doing wrong yet because he hadn't revealed it to you. That's how good he is, right? You know you have blind spots that God hasn't just revealed. He's processing you. And by the way, I know I have blind spots. That's why I need you to be patient with me and, you can be, and I'm going to be patient with you because we're in process and he forgives us of all our unrighteousness and then he's in the process of growing us in righteousness and that takes a little bit of time. I really believe if God showed us all of our sins at once, we'd be overwhelmed. Isaiah, right? Woe is me, I'm undone. Don't show them all at once. Let's just do them one at a time. Right? As we grow in holiness and righteousness. And so he forgives us of sin. This is incredible. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now listen, church. I'm going to wrap this up right here. Don't ever grow weary of the gospel come to coastal any length of time you know man we talk about gospel gospel jesus gospel sin forgiveness redemption repentance faith journey cleansing if you don't ever yawn your way through the gospel oh, so boring why is he talking about the gospel again the gospel's so amazing that a kid can get it your kids are coming to you some of your parents are raising your kids in the Lord and they're coming to you at a young age and they're going I'm a sinner and like I need saving and you're like oh my gosh you start crying it's great right yet it's so deep and so profound that 40 years into my journey I'm still shocked at how sinful I am and I'm shocked at how much God loves me amen we never grow weary of the gospel we come in here and we celebrate it every single week. And when we've forgotten it, I'll tell you what you're not meditating on. You are not thinking deeply enough about God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Because that leaves me as a sinner in a precarious position. My only hope is the gospel of Jesus. I, uh, I, there's a bumper sticker that uh, it always gives me pause. I love it. It's one of my favorite kind of national bumper sticker. It, and it fits for Memorial Day. It's a, it's a bumper sticker. It usually has a silhouette of a soldier kneeling down at, at like a cross in front of a gravesite. And the bumper sticker says, all gave some, right? But some gave what? Oh, y'all know that bumper sticker. I, think, I love that bumper sticker. And I'm appreciative of the men and women who've sacrificed their lives for our freedoms we have in this country. I think sometimes we import that bumper sticker into our gospel presentation. And we think, yeah, I bring a little bit to the table, don't I? No. If we were going to do a gospel bumper sticker, it would read something like this. God gave all by his grace to save his children. Listen. For God so loved the world did he give some? No, he gave all. He gave his one and only son. That whoever does what? Believes in him. Will not perish. But have eternal life. And as the Apostle John wrote that for us in John chapter 3, the teaching of Jesus, he later writes, If we confess our sins... He is faithful 
And he's what? Just to do something amazing. What? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God forbid that ever becomes boring to us. Amen, church? At the end of the day, I hear that voice, and I'm like, I just give me Jesus from beginning to end. Amen? All right, I want to bring the prayer team up. Prayer team, come on up on the screens. I know it's embarrassing when I do this when people are looking around, but here's the deal. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ, and the Spirit of God's working on you, you're like, man, I, I want to confess my sin. I want to know Jesus. I want to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. I'm going to pray. Or you can meet with one of these prayer team people, man. They would love to talk to you about receiving Jesus. And then we're going to go out of here singing this morning. The song that we sang earlier. But I pray that you sing it with the understanding of, man, what a great God who saved me from my sin. And we're going to sing, Great Are You, Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, for the one in this room that you're stirring and they don't know you. And today they realize, man, I'm walking in darkness. I want to confess my sin, believe in Jesus and be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And so right now, God, in their heart and their minds, you know what's going on, God, that you would, they would do business with you and say, I'm a sinner. I turn, I believe. And how do we know that's true? Because God said so. He stepped out of his own grave. And God, for all of us, even as Christians, God, I, I'm so quick to think somehow I bring something to the table. And I'm reminded how good you are to, to me, oh God. A sinner. With the simplicity that a child can receive and the profundity that books have been written, God. And so I confess, man, I'm a sinner and I need God and you've forgiven me. You're faithful to your word, to the gospel. You're just, you paid for my sin. And you've cleansed me, not from some of my unrighteousness, but all of it. Even the stuff I'm still growing in, God. And so with the other believers in this room today, I leave just recognizing, oh God, you are great. You're light, you're holy, you're just, you're pure, you're patient, you're slow to anger, you're gracious, you're generous, you're kind. And all we have to offer you is just our worship, God. My heart, my life, my everything, great are you, Lord. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus, and it's in his name I pray.